0: Your attention is precious. Hold in a million
1: directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you.
2: That's the Benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitofBlueSC.com.
0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: All right, what do you guys want to do? Well, let's go throw a frag grenade in there and see if anyone comes out. <laughs> True Ranger fashion. We move up, yeah. kick the door in, throw a frag in, blows up. Of course, the guy doesn't come out because we just blew him up. A buddy of mine actually shot this dude in the chest, and he crumples back in the house. What do you want to do now? You want to throw another frag? <laughs> and our commander gave us the green light to throw a, a thermal barrel grenade And I looked at my like, yeah, let's do that. So we throw that in the house and it brings the whole structure down. So it's just made of mud and sticks. That was like a big no-no. And I was supposed to like level structures without like GFC approval. That was an organic munition. It was a handheld. I I can't assume it's going to bring a whole single family home down. We came up with this crazy plan of, I'm going to throw a nine banger. And while it's going off, they need to run out. So we had the Terp come up, tell them, they give us the thumbs up, throw the nine banger, and they don't run. Ninth bang goes off small amount of silence, and then they start running.
2: (laughs) Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent six and a half years on active duty in the uh, Ranger Regiment. 1st Battalion. He's spent uh, four years on active duty as a law enforcement officer uh, in Savannah, half of which as a canine handler, which you can bet your sweet muffin ass we are going to dive into. He's a board member of the Georgia Police Canine Foundation, which does amazing things in uh, his region. He's a father, a husband, a pipe hitter, an overall badass. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, John Lindsay thanks for having me yeah thanks for coming man i uh, i know you're a busy guy you got young kids and um, you just worked a, a long crazy shift uh, yeah. all night before you came here and, and you got to head back tonight so i know your time is precious and uh we sure appreciate you sharing it with us I, it means it means the world to us uh, what's the last full book that you've read
1: the last full book
2: and, and finished
1: Oh, I'd have to scale all the way back to high school. To be <laughs> no shit. The Ranger Handbook. Is no the last. shit. Yeah. I haven't done a lot of reading lately. My wife's a, the avid reader. I just started reading uh, Jordan Peterson on the flight here. Oh, no shit. Yeah, the, the second of this 12 Rules of Life.
2: Oh, okay. Can't go wrong with that for sure. Uh, what's your favorite childhood memory?
1: You're starting off with the the hard ones. The hard <laughs> it's a hard question. supposed
2: to be the lightning round. Yeah. Just get your uh, the juices flowing.
1: Childhood memory. <laughs> Probably getting my first Razor scooter. Yeah, watching my dad show me how to do it and just oh, shit. eating shit in the cul-de-sac.
2: <laughs> so your dad tore it up, huh? Oh yeah, really? He, yeah, that's pretty wild. <laughs> uh, what's uh, what's your worst vacation story? Oh,
1: my worst vacation story. Sorry, mom, if you're uh, <laughs> watching this podcast, the uh, we had a like a detour in Kingman, Arizona. I think it's in Arizona, the booming metropolis. Yeah, that's right a, before you get into California. I think, yeah, I think all the are Best Western. Yeah, and. uh we had to make a motel motel stop on the way home from a from a Laughlin trip, I believe. And uh the toilet just overflowed terribly. So we're I just remember the carpet being wet. And oh, shit. We had been. And I'm just a little kid, and yeah. I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and so my you're step- playing in it? <laughs> no, hopefully. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that. Not, yeah. not, that's not a, a lasting memory. Yeah. But my stepdad would not let it go. And, and she oh, said, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's brutal.
2: But everything worked out all right. Yeah, we survive. Yeah. Uh, What is your morning routine? I know uh, it probably varies a little bit, but uh, the the most routine morning that you can have, say the first three hours, like what time you get up and and what that looks like.
1: I would say the most routine is probably the the days that my wife goes to work. So she works part time. um, So those are the days it's just boys day at the house. Um, Generally getting up about seven, throwing on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or Bluey for, (laughs) for Maverick and Riot to be entertained in the living room while... It's time to feed the five dogs and get breakfast going, and yeah. it's a madhouse. I'm yeah. exhausted by nine. Yeah.
2: Do you uh, do you work out uh, in the morning first? or
1: No, not in the morning. Um, terrible habit, but me and my wife have a routine of working out together. Yeah. It's like a little bit of time we get, just us. Um, so we work out in the evenings. Um, we're both actually on Suma Fit. Well, okay. So Christine crushes us yeah. individually in, in the garage. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I would like to do it in the morning and get yeah. it out of the way. Yeah, but sometimes the pre workout jitters linger, yeah. linger, and sleep and stuff. Yeah.
2: What uh, do you subscribe to a particular eating style um, for for breakfast in particular? I guess for breakfast, generally just eggs, eggs yeah. and
1: some sort of meat, bacon or sausage, yeah. and I'll throw some hash browns in the air fryer once in a while. Uh, or I c- if we got them, I yeah. keep it as simple as I possibly can. Yeah.
2: Do you? Uh, how how strict are you with the kids? Like, I know that's a tough thing for a lot of parents. I know my kids are older now, but. Like when they're young, of of balancing that, uh, you know, trying to be setting a good example and and giving them the right shit, but also you know letting them be kids a little bit and having having some of the garbage. I thought I was gonna be really
1: strict. Yeah. I thought I was gonna be like the ranger team leader and Maverick <laughs> and Riot were gonna fall in line like ranger privates, but it's not the case. I'm a sucker. Anything, yeah. anything, anything my oldest son wants, he gets. My wife yeah. gives me gives me shit about it all the time. Yeah. Um, but he definitely knows when when I'm not playing around. Yeah, and it's time to fall in line, even at two and a half years old. Oh wow, he gets it. Um, he's a sweet kid. I'm hoping it stays continues that, that yeah. route. Yeah.
2: What's uh What's your poison, uh, cheat meal wise?
1: Oh. Well, I'm glad I'm here in Dallas because now I'm going to get some In-N-Out today after yeah. this. But the, uh, that used to be my – It's the California needed, go-to, right? Yeah, 10.30 in the morning for breakfast. Yeah. And then 1 o'clock in the morning before yeah. I went to work when I was in the academy in California. Yeah. Um, and Georgia is probably McDonald's. Probably Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Christine. <laughs>
2: I, I haven't been doing as much lately, yeah. but I'm a fat kid at heart. What's the uh, – what do you get there? I couldn't tell you the last time I drove through McDonald's. It's, oh, I can't. It was probably years. last week.
1: <laughs> uh Awesome. So again,
2: sorry, Christine. I get <laughs> the, I get the, yeah,
1: I get the uh, ten-piece chicken nugget, mm. fries, Dr. Pepper, and two double cheeseburgers, the mm. cheese only. Is that right? Yeah. If I if I wasn't blessed with some sort of genetic <laughs> predisposition to being Fucking small tapeworm
2: metabolism, yeah, Dude, that's wild, man. All right, hey guys, I want to take a a second to talk about ads. Um, and this is not an ad. This is me talking about the ads. I know that. Um, you know sometimes we get comments of, of people bitching about the ads there's too many ads or they're too long or what have you know I, I want to clear two things up which is number one is that my slash our team's ability to bring you guests and and bring them in and, and the accommodations and, and the entire process that it takes to produce these shows to the level with which we do uh, requires funding you know and the, the sponsors give us an ability to bring these shows to you. So while I understand that everybody wants zero ads and, and everything bunched together and, and what have you, this is how we, we bring this show to you. Uh, you know, we're a very small team. We're very fortunate to, to be able to do it, uh, but we do still have to uh, to pay bills and, and bring that to you. So keep that in mind. That's the first point. And the second point is that I can assure you with 100% accuracy is that there is not a sponsor or a product that I talk about on here that isn't something that I use, okay, that, that I either regularly use or always use or have used, and, and I refuse to budge on that, okay? So we, we get uh, offers for, for sponsors regularly that, that get turned down because it's not stuff that I use or would use. So keep that in mind. Uh, have a little bit of flexibility in terms of our ads and, and realize that They're products that I believe in, that I stand behind, and they're what, what make this show possible. So if you support these advertisers, these sponsors, that is supporting the show. Thank you. All right, so growing up, you uh, you grew up in California, right? It did. Uh, tell us about your your childhood experience, generally speaking. I grew up in Southern California. A lot of people
1: ask if it's like Laguna Beach or the hills, like TV shows, and I have to explain. I grew up on the north side of Orange County, oh, yeah. a little bit of the barrio. Yeah. Um, Is it like uh, almost into Long Beach or Anaheim or what? Anaheim. So yeah. I, bo- I grew up in Fullerton. So I okay. border Anaheim. Um, I can actually see like the Disneyland fireworks from my back oh, wow. patio up yeah. on the second second deck. Um, I, w- I like to think it was a pretty normal Pretty normal childhood My parents divorced when I was pretty young um, So I did like every other weekend with my dad Had uh, older step-siblings That were my step children Prior to marrying my dad So we went from just me and my brother To the like interracial Brady Bunch It was, oh, it was wow. pretty awesome Um, My older siblings are half black, half white And then my two oldest of those step-siblings Married Um uh, my my brother in law he's Pacific Islander and my sister in law is Japanese. Oh wow! It's so, like when we go out to dinner when
2: we're fucking United Colors of oh, Benetton. We, yeah. Whenever right.
1: I, we go home, <laughs> and we get the the craziest looks from waiters. Yeah. Like,
2: how did this yeah happen? <laughs> the fucking mission. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, were, were there any uh, things that kind of stuck out? Uh, you know, g- growing up that way in in you know maybe a less traditional family dynamic. What what stood out as being. Uh, like memorable moments,
1: I think just having like a built-in like baseball team, like yeah, there's there was five of us at any given time. If if none of us had friends over or like boyfriends or girlfriends over, so we're able to like play full pickup basketball games just us. Yeah. in the cul-de-sac we grew up in, so that was always cool. There was always something to do. You had like built-in best friends that were always there. Yeah,
2: so you guys got along really well. There was never any any problems.
1: Oh, not at all. Yeah. I think the only the only like. Real conflict is me and my little brother got in a fist fight in high school. Yeah. Over some chick. Yeah. He made some comment. We got in a fight at track practice. Yeah.
2: So you ran track, huh? Yeah, not well. Yeah. But I did it. I did it. I did it in the football offseason. Oh, okay. So football and track and anything else? Uh, I played baseball. I got <clears throat>
1: kind of got the football bug my freshman yeah. year. I, looking back, I should have stuck with baseball. I got 155 pounds up until I yeah. oh, s- still. Yeah. yeah. Um but football was fun, so I I wanted to run track and get faster to play receiver and corner, and that didn't work out too well for me because I went yeah. to junior college and yeah, joined the army and now a police officer. So. Yeah,
2: <laughs> well, I, the uh, I mean that that frame suits suits itself well for being in the ranger battalion, though. I mean, it seems yeah. like a lot of rangers. I knew my best friend growing up was a ranger, um, and he he was probably five. Five six, five seven, and yeah, I mean one forty five, one fifty, probably tough as fucking nails. Though I mean he's one of the toughest, toughest guys I ever knew. He, uh, you may have heard of him actually. Uh, Matt Nyman was his name. He died in an avalanche. He went to, to CAG and then lost a leg in Baghdad in a, in a Hilo crash, and then did a bunch of mountaineering shit. And was training in, in Alaska two years ago, um, and him and his team died in an avalanche. But uh, oh wow. But you know he was just a scrappy, fucking tough. You know, just you'd have to kill him. Like you just would never fucking give up. Yeah. Um, and he did gymnastics growing up. He's pretty athletic. But um, but again, same same kind of build. But um, <clears throat> the uh, in that family dynamic, I guess going back to that, was there initially uh, any hesitancy on your part, like tripling your family and going into you know. A totally different scenario like was it weird at first or or did you fall right in like oh this is awesome I think I was so young that you don't really know any better yeah. like it might have been different if
1: I was 12 or 13 and kind of yeah arguably set in your ways as a kid but being so young like I'm fairly certain if I remember my stepdad helped coach me in like single a so I, but it's seven yeah and I feel like I remember him being there at t-ball so like that's so young that it was just kind of yeah. like cool. Like yeah. you guys brought me more people to, to, to play, play with and
2: hang out. Yeah. Any uh, super impactful moments growing up that uh, that shaped either who you are or who you didn't want to be? Like anything stand out as being uh, momentous?
1: Yeah, nothing like imp- like totally impactful that would like warrant the news to coverage it. But I got actually got grounded f- for one week per minute I was late one time. All really? seven minutes late.
2: No shit. Yeah. What was the the circumstance?
1: I was simply just late. I mean, like, how old were you? Where, like, where uh, were you I was from? driving, so. Oh, I got you. Uh, 16 or 17. I was in high school. Yeah. Seven minutes late. Really? And my stepmom held to it. Oh, I was okay. living with my dad full time at the time and doing my mother's every other weekend. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. Wow. I lost my phone. I lost, other than driving to school, I was grounded for seven weeks. Yeah. Every day of it. Wow. So now I'm never late.
2: Yeah. Even still, huh? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Never late. Always on time. Well, I guess it worked, huh?
1: Yeah, you gotta make things count.
2: Yeah, what uh, when you, so when you going from graduation, uh, high school wise uh, to your career path, what what kind of shaped your mentality to want to join join the military, and how did that shake out? At first, I didn't have any; like, it never crossed my mind to join the army.
1: Um, I actually went to junior college, I was real close to finish my associate's degree. Then I did the police academy there. It was like a part time academy, so I was working at Portland PD doing like clerical stuff as a police cadet. Um, graduated the academy and completed the requirements for my associate's degree in criminal justice, which is all but useless. Yeah. Um, I was still working at the police department in the unsworn capacity in the jail. And uh, I was kind of bouncing the idea of the Marine Corps around. The, the, the uniforms sell you in Southern California with Camp Pendleton being right there. Yeah. And that's like, that's what all your buddies do if anyone yeah. joins. And uh, actually, had a buddy, not a super close friend, but it was the first time the the war in Afghanistan like personally affected me. Um, a, a guy I was in a close friend group with in junior high school. Christian San Nicholas was killed in Kandahar in 2012. Uh, he was a paratrooper with the 82nd. Um, it kind of kind of jolted me forward. Like it's it's here. It's always it's always just been overseas. It was yeah. never other than seeing the towers fall as a kid. It was never like that affected to me personally in my selfish worldview. Yeah. Um, and when it finally did hit knock on the door, um, there was a Swick guy that was a patrol cop at Fullerton. And he asked me if I knew what Rangers were. And I had no idea, no idea. So he had me look up option 40 contract and talk to a recruiter. I did a little bit of back and forth. Um, they told me if I signed an airborne MP contract, I could get assigned to where the Rangers are, and I would be a Ranger. <laughs> I'm glad I did not. I'm glad I did not fall for that. Cause Classic knows,
2: fucking recruiter bullshit. Yeah, who, who knows
1: where I'd be now if yeah. I did that. Man, uh, but that's how that's how that's how I ended up. Yeah, like opening the door for the first time, recruiting office, and actually doing the ASFB and all that. Yeah. Uh,
2: Shape wise, at that point, I mean, were you still like when you were in junior college? Were you playing baseball and? Uh, or, or playing any sports? Like, were you in pretty good shape before you joined?
1: Um, I've never, I've never been like a physical specimen phenom. To be, I've always been like the gray man. Like, I do well enough where I'm yeah. not like Cadre doesn't. Yeah, I'm not going to be the guy that if I'm I fall out one day, Cadre's is going to be like, you were at the front yeah. yesterday, yeah. and I'm not the guy at the back. I'm right in the middle, which yeah. is, has has worked out well for me yeah. in in yeah. The, in, the, in the shittiest of situations. <laughs> but the, um, I don't know. I just, I guess being as light as I am, like. Running has never been too difficult. Yeah. Um, And then the academy helped. We did a lot of running in the police academy there. It was like a non-stress academy. It was weird. It was part-time. It was Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. But for the last like 20 weeks of it, it was 40 weeks long. Oh, wow. And uh, we're doing PT three of those those seven days. I was still working out a little bit. Yeah. Um, Still weighed 155 pounds, never. Yeah. Move, moving that quickly is relatively easy.
2: Yeah. Uh so you, all right, so you get into the army and uh assuming like physically you were in good enough shape to where it wasn't uh a, a total ball buster it didn't set you back or anything. No.
1: No, but looking looking back of all the things of all the things I went through in the military, I would not do basic training again. Really? Not because it was like excessively difficult, just being around I was 22 yeah. when I when I enlisted. And being around, like, 18-year-old kids who, like, had to be taught how to shave their face and tie their shoes and, like, you have to wear socks with your shoes and, yeah. like, basic things, um, that, that was the most frustrating for me, just dealing with yeah. incompetency.
2: How to not be a dipshit. Yeah. It's amazing, you know, four years in your 30s, 40s, whatever, is, is nothing. But, yeah, I mean, 18 to 22 is a big, pretty big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you go from uh, boot camp right through RIP or RASP or whatever it was when you went through and, and straight – yeah, so
1: so when I when I went through, it was before they had the switch, because now that now now I believe you go to RASP and then Airborne School. Yeah, they had too many guys were doing Option Forty, getting their Airborne wings, and then just Things like showing like it there. first day and quitting. Yeah, um, so I went before they switched it. So I went right through OSIT, Airborne School, into RASP, and then uh, right to one seven five. So I think I enlisted October twenty twelve, and I was in Savannah and march if I'm not mistaken oh, march wow. March or April yeah
2: quick uh, quick pipeline was uh, was rasp as challenging uh, as you thought it would be? It was different
1: yeah um, it was definitely different it was an, it was an experience to say the least um, what got me through it was just like someone was always sucking more than me so yeah. that that's what got me through same with Ranger school like, that guy's going to quit before yeah. I will. And it generally happened. No, that guy quit. Now we get to take a short halt. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what though, PT every day at Rasp was the same way it was day one. Yeah. They almost got me. They almost oh, got no me. Shit. They got me on day one. I had really? that, I had that like throw up in your mouth moment where yeah. we're running. Um, I don't know what the stadium's called over there where the Doughboys played on Fort Benning. And I was like, this is this is going to be a long eight weeks if yeah. this is every day. Um, and it kind of it it kind of tapered off once you get through the coal range. I think that's week three. So week four through eight, you're doing three three pretty hard run days or, or, or something of that nature with a ruck. And then two of the days were like PT prep days. <clears throat> so I hate to call it. In my head, those were like the break days. I was like, yeah, okay, at 155 pounds, I can do pull-ups. Yeah. I can do, go do push-ups and sit-ups. And it's not too wild, but. So you know, the ruck was tougher for you. Yeah, I, can't, yeah. Ruck, I was never good at rucking.
2: Yeah. Never, what, never how, at all. How heavy are the, are the packs in RASP? In rasp, I, I want to say the packing list was
1: supposed to be 45 pounds plus your water. Yeah. But you never weigh them. You just kind of trust what the cadre tells you it weighs. So you don't, oh, like, really? I honestly couldn't tell you. Oh, shit. But so now when I hold 45 pounds, I always like to think in my head, maybe it's just inflating my ego a little bit. Like, that was definitely more than 45 pounds. I'm sure
2: it was. Or you try and
1: drink water the water as fast as you can, so you're carrying less <laughs> on your back, and then you're, then you're fucked at mile eight.
2: Is that, I mean, how, uh, how, how far were they? Were they the same distance most times or? Uh,
1: they, they progressively, they, they did a progressive load. So it wasn't, it wasn't designed to like totally just break you off and like have a ton of injuries. Um, kind of like the unwritten rule rule is if you went to sit call for anything, like even shin splints, like you're done. Yeah. Um, even if you were able to come back that afternoon, you went to worldwide and you got your orders to Korea and now you're an infantryman in the army. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, uh, Curriculum-wise, in RASP, is there very much that's taught, or is it like ninety percent just getting kicked in the balls over and over? After week three, you 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 do some learning. Yeah. Um, you do
1: yeah, like you do a whole week on breaching. So you do do a bunch of explosive breaching, calculating your men safe, and all that stuff. And in in those environments, at least when I went through, it was they made it less or low stress with the hopes you retain some of it. So you're yeah. not just showing up as like, Hey, I got my tambourine and I don't know anything. Yeah. Um, And in that respect, I think it was, it was, it was pretty cool. I didn't think that we were going to get any of that. I thought it was just going to be a kick in the dick for eight weeks. And then yeah. you show up with your head spinning. Um, the marksmanship was, was pretty good. I didn't really start shooting pistol well until I started shooting competitively. Um, the when, Army, Army's not very good at teaching pistol.
2: Yeah. When did you start doing that and, and where and how? <clears throat> um,
1: I want to say I shot my first match when I was still in the Army, but I might be mistaken. There's a uh, 17 South in Richmond Hill, Georgia. It's like a private gun club. Um, and they do a USPSA and an IDPA match once a month. So 25 bucks, you show up and shoot six, seven stages. Um, at first I was shooting it. I didn't have any like the – it was before like the like the tactical belts were like a thing. Yeah. And guys just wore like their cry top tucked in with their holster maybe. Yeah. Um, or like the big battle lab sub belts. Yeah. So I shot with, like, my concealed carry gun, like, having mags in my pocket and just <laughs> looking like I've never done anything tactical in my life. Yeah. I was like, I'm a ranger, I promise. Like, yeah. but this, is, this is foreign <laughs> to me. Um, um, but then I started doing it with, like, my duty belt as a cop and stuff like that. And yeah. It's hard to replicate that kind of stress. Yeah. Stress might be the wrong word. But uh, other than, like, smoking the shit out of yourself and then trying to shoot and reinforcing poor fundamentals, there's nothing like thinking the 12 guys behind you care how you shoot. Yeah. Like they're watching you and yeah. that shot timer. Like you can't induce it anywhere else. Yeah. And the more guys I've gotten to from the SWAT team that come out there and and do it, like that's an eye opener. Yeah. And they in, and they instantly progress huge in their yeah.
2: pistol marksmanship. It's oh, shit. kind of amazing. Yeah. Do you have a uh, a dedicated tricked out competition gun? I
1: <clears throat> up until recently I didn't, but yeah, I have a CZ Shadow two. I love that gun. I yeah. Haven't haven't jumped on the red dot train. Yeah.
2: Me um, either. I I don't like them. I mean, I know it's one of those. You got to spend a certain amount of time to get to where you're. Yeah, um, it's the way of the future.
1: Yeah, uh, there's definitely pros to it, but I did it for a little bit on my concealed carry gun. Yeah, I, I didn't d- like fishing for the dot on a Glock 34.
2: I'm the exact same way. I, I uh, and to me, you know, granted, I don't competitively shoot, but I, I shoot enough to stay sharp enough to feel comfortable carrying. Um, but you know, for me, it's like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the other thing too is, you know, my iron sights, even though they're night sights, like the chance or likelihood of them breaking or or failing or, yeah, or zero. Yeah. I mean, almost zero. Whereas I've known enough people have problems with whether it's a, um, like the micro, the like the really fucking small ones that are pretty low profile or, even big fucking red dots, or I mean, there's hole of suns, I mean, there's all, all different types, I guess, but I've known a lot of people that like, oh, the battery was dead when I fucking you know pulled it out, and it was supposed to last a certain amount of months, and you know and, and it doesn't, and to me, it's just like, why fuck with that?" you know, yeah, I mean, people have been phenomenal shots without them you know to me it's like to say like oh i can gain you know a fraction of a millisecond or, or whatever of speed like maybe but it's going to take months to get to that point and you're rolling the dice with it it uh, potentially fucking failing at a much higher rate than you are with with plain iron sights i just don't get it yeah and after corona
1: it's hard to get out there and shoot a ton
2: now with yeah.
1: pro- ammo still up there yeah
2: um all right so going back to uh Range of battalion. When you, so you get through Rasp, you go to first of the seventy fifth and in Savannah at that uh, first battalion. What was the the experience for you uh, like showing up like when you first got there? Uh, expectation versus reality, and was there a difference?
1: The expectation was weird because you don't you have no idea. Like you can't even like you can't even look up. I'm sure it's the same in in on SEAL teams and in the unit, like you can't Google what like the cough looks like or where you're, I never thought it'd be lockers and squares and that's called the cage and it's super daunting and you got guys that have been there three months longer than you and you, they look different because probably stress induced and they look like they have bags under their eyes because they, <laughs> and I, I learned that was Sunday blues, like you just get real depressed on Sundays because you got to go back to work on Monday as a private. Um. I mean it lived up to it. it was stressful, like the the need to perform every day, or you felt like I could be going to the eighty second airborne yeah um it was real. You don't really feel like you start to fit in until you're there for at least a year and then still you're you're still standing at parade rest all the time doing the private things, sweeping the rain off the wet floor, and doing all those things um, but yeah it was a it was an interesting time,
2: yeah. What uh, what's the total number of guys that are at a battalion? Do you know ballpark? Oh, I've had to do some quick math. I think it's so you get nine in a squad, four squads,
1: thirty six, four platoons. I don't know, probably about five hundred people. Yeah, five hundred yeah. people. There used to there was four line companies when I first got there, um, with your auxiliary like HHC being the dog handlers, the mortar guys, um, and then the absolved deco. And I think it was because the G-wall was slowing down already. Um, and then deco became like the specialty troops platoons. Um, so there's only three line companies, and I think it's still that way now.
2: Yeah. Um, do you know about how many new guys come into a battalion per year?
1: I don't. I don't know. I think some of the classes get pretty big, um, and then I know they had an issue with like attrition dropping pretty, like getting pretty low. Um, they restructured RASP, um, from what I'm from what I'm aware of. I had a team leader that we were team leaders together and he went to be raft cadre and they made it real robotic. I think more to mimic like the long walk of like you're a number. There's not a lot of like screaming and yelling. It's just, it's very impersonal. Like I'm going to scuff you up and I'm going to do it professionally. Yeah. And then here's the standard you make. Yeah. You could stand out here in the rocks and think about it. Yeah. Think about if you're going to make it past
2: lunch. Yeah. Um, What do you think uh, like from your experience going through it, a certain way and, and just perspective, do you think that's a better way to do it or or not as
1: good? See, I think there's pros and cons to both. I think it's good to get screamed at in your face. Not because like you need to be trained to be screamed at, but I think it builds some resiliency in the uh like learning how to think and, and respond in this this oh shit moment. Mm-hmm. Um, because other than like shooting at you, like how else do you replicate that? Yeah. And I noticed that in the law enforcement, that's what's lacking. It's the, the George, at least Georgia's police Academy, very low stress, very like, I just kind of existed for 11 weeks and it yeah. was over
2: 11 weeks. It's the shortest in the nation. Wow. We'll definitely get into that. I, I, uh, if we can keep going through yep. kind of your Ranger time, but I, I yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that fucking, that's a, that seems dangerously short. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> all right. So you, you, takes about a year before you feel like you belong there or you're at least settled in enough to get some breathing room. At what point did you go through Ranger School? I want to say I was, I was there for 18 months. Really?
1: I'd, it might not have been that long. I think I might be mixing up with the Blue Book standards. You're supposed to get your tab within 18 months. Um, I went on my first deployment to Mazar Sharif as a private. It was a blizzardy deployment. Like All I did was special operations. I just cleaned and watched, <laughs> watched them watch six Rangers go on target with all the KKA. Like really? that, it was like a weird ratio at that point. So there was like no hope of going on target and it just kind of existing and training. And yeah, when there's no mission, you get smoked.
2: No oh shit. Yeah. Even overseas, they're doing that. Oh yeah. That seems crazy. To oh think.
1: yeah. Damn. Um, yeah. When the team leaders and squad leaders are, are busy planning or, or looking forward to a possible projection for a mission, the, the tab spec fours are just, they get bored. They don't want to play cards anymore or, or play video games or whatever, it's time to mess with the privates.
2: So they just round you up and fuck with you? Oh, yeah. Really?
1: Oh, yeah. Bear crawls around the at the buildings on the compound. Wow.
2: Um, so you, you've been at the Ranger Battalion for a year. Mm-hmm. You're on deployment, and they're smoking you. Yeah, getting you ready for Ranger School. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs>
1: All in the name uh, of professional uh, development.
2: Dude, that seems so fucking dumb.
1: But I went to Ranger School when we got back from that trip. Um, like right when you got back? Yeah, it was very, very short after. Yeah. I, I think I went, I think I left for ranger school prior to that airborne seizure starting, that training. So, I was there in the summer. Yeah.
2: As you guys know, I served 12 and a half years in the military uh, as a U.S. Navy SEAL. And one of the big uh, traditions and common things with guys in the military is dipping. Uh, I used to dip uh, for the entire time I was in the military. And, uh you know, there, there's a ritual to it. There's nothing like throwing in a and, and packing a fat dip after, after a op, cleaning guns, uh, or even getting ready to go out. Or, uh, you know, it's just it's something that uh, was kind of ingrained in a lot of us, uh, myself included, and something I frankly enjoyed. But this shit's bad for you. So, uh, I partnered with Black Buffalo, which is a edible green leaf food grade ingredient, and no tobacco leaf or stem. Uh, dipping alternative product that uh, is phenomenal. It uh, has wintergreen, mint, straight, peach, and blood orange, and uh, they're great. Uh, it's a great company to work with. They're huge uh, supporters of veterans, uh, and I love to be able to have the, the ritual of, of having a dip without it being uh, a tobacco product. So if you go to uh, blackbuffalo.com slash discount slash mic drop uh, and you use the code mic Uh, You get 15% off. So uh, go check out Black Buffalo. Honor your ritual. Be the leader of your own herd and uh, get down on it.
1: Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco.
2: All right, guys, as you know, I'm into uh, health and fitness uh, and specifically how nutrition relates to it. Um, Coffee has been a staple of mine and, and I think most people's for a long time. Um, as you know, I'm a big, uh, proponent of Mudwater, which is a sponsor of this show. They have been, uh, for a while now and, and we have a great partnership. I love their product. Um, it's a phenomenal alternative to coffee. Um, for me, you know, coffee, there's jitters, there's mold in it. Uh, you know, a lot of times it tends to, to kind of upset my stomach. Uh, but Mudwater has adaptogenic, uh, mushrooms. Um, there's a fraction of of the caffeine that coffee has there's a little bit, but it's very, very little. Um, and it, it really leans on on mushrooms and the blend of matcha and chai for kind of that sustained energy that, that continues to go and, and doesn't crash the way coffee does when, uh, when it runs out. Uh, they use lion's mane for alertness, cordyceps to support physical performance, chaga and raishi to support the immune system, turmeric for soreness and cinnamon for antioxidants. Um, I, I really enjoy that first cup of warm liquid in the morning by taking mud water instead of coffee. And I'll put, uh, just a splash of, of heavy cream, uh, or even some protein powder, uh, some collagen powder. Um, and I'll also throw, uh, usually a couple drops of, uh, stevia or, uh, monk fruit vanilla to make it kind of a, a thick normal morning coffee ritual type of, uh, concoction. And, uh, I got to tell you, it, it, it does wonders for me, and, and I'm really, really glad that I switched. It's been you know, a better part of a year now uh, you know that I've been taking that uh, and using that as part of my uh, daily morning routine, and it's fantastic. I love it. I, I can't re- recommend it enough. Uh, it's 100% USDA, uh, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified, uh, and they also donate to the Berkeley Center for Science of Psychedelics, which is uh you know, groundbreaking and leading research to help veterans with PTSD uh, and other uh, associated illnesses and in, in, uh, syndrome. So uh, great cause, great company, phenomenal product. If you go to Mudwater, that's M-U-D-W-T-R.com forward slash Mike to sh- support this show and the product uh, and use the code MikeMUD, M-I-K-E-M-U-D, all caps, for 15% off. That's, again, Mudwater m u d w t r dot com forward slash Mike, and the code is Mike Mud M-I-K-E-M-U-D, M I K E M U D all caps for fifteen percent off. Go check them out. How was Ranger School? I mean, I've I've had you know a handful of Rangers on, and they they all have their own experience. But what was it like for you? It was not what I thought
1: it would be. there's was a lot more. Uh, the worst part, too, arguably, is just standing, standing yeah. around, like being at Camp Rogers, like. Your wrap week, other than your, like, no-fail tasks, like, don't quit on my SD, Do your 12-mile, pass the PT test, all those kind of things. There's a lot of standing on the rocks, just kind of wondering what's next. Um, And that, to me, was just the dumbest part, but also, like, one of the most excruciating parts. Yeah. You kind of just start feeling like you're wasting your time.
2: Um, I'm surprised there's that much standing around. I guess I've I've not really heard anybody uh, mention that. It's always... You know it's the lack of sleep and very little food and the standing that's like a, the first week is I don't know what admin stuff it's to, to
1: keep you awake like you're already starting to do your sleep deprivation, but it's you just have your stuff yeah you can't go in the barracks your stuff's on the in the gravel pit, and you're just under this lPA just waiting for cadre to come out and find something wrong with something, and then you're doing push-ups and sit ups and running yeah. around again um, but once you got into like the patrols, I almost failed, Darby. I got double no-goed on my first two patrols, and I got lucky with a third look on day six.
2: Really? Yeah. What happened?
1: I don't know. I couldn't tell you how I failed. Yeah. Uh, my fir- Well, actually, I can.
2: Well, I guess I what's the standard? Like what? Uh... No,
1: I don't think anyone truly knows oh, unless I you're an don't. R.I. Like uh, there's like your 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 task for each job, like your squad leader. Well, Darby's patrol platoon operations or squad operations, sorry. So it's kind of you do all this prep and cert for platoon level stuff like I know how to be a weapons squad leader I know how to be a, a line squad leader but then you get to Darby and you got to be the ATL BTL but the ATL is like the PL and is briefing the offboard, and you're like oh. it's a
2: lot of TLAs yeah I wasn't ready for this a three letter acronym um, which is also a three letter acronym can you uh break down what those are for everybody including yeah, myself so you got like your assistant
1: your your alpha team leader and then your bravo team leader then you have a squad leader if i'm not mistaken in in darby um and then they like kind of like ad hoc the responsibilities out of the ranger handbook because ironically there is no squad level ambush or react to contact stuff in the ranger handbook as it pertains to like your graded tasks really yeah so you go there and you you know what they are but it's it's objective. you're still you're still in like culture shock like you were doing your classes and they're keeping you awake and you're trying not to fall asleep while you're trying to learn. And they probably told us everything we were being graded on, but you I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but I, my first one I had to actually brief the op board. So that went abysmal. Cause so I was just a private first class in the army and I'm trying to do what lieutenants go to college to learn how to do. Yeah. Um, and then the officers in my group were just garbage. It's like they weren't even any help. Like they were probably worse than me. Um, my second look, I, I think I heat catted. Oh really? So I just like woke up. I didn't had one glove on, <laughs> and the the RI he's wearing the the little like IR flaps on the on the A C U uniform, covering his Ranger tab, and I took that as a symbol of like, yeah, you're not getting this. Like, oh really? Yeah, because he, he didn't have it covered before, and when he's giving me my A A R, oh no, it's shit. covered, and I was like, oh, I failed. Wow. Um, but my support by fire couldn't see the road. My like, my blocking positions were like lost. So that's on me, I guess Yeah, I should have checked, but yeah, I so thought we were good. So
2: you failed the second time. So I failed that time. Yeah.
1: But my third, I got a third look on day six, the stress was on and I got a Bravo team leader look. So I was, my job was like help with the terrain model, make sure people don't fall asleep on the patrol base. And when we started our movement, react to contact. Yeah. And then my mind was done. I was like, there's no way I failed that. Yeah. If I failed that, I, I'm you gonna deserve go, to go home. I'm going to go live in Macon, Georgia, and I'm going AWOL. <laughs> I'm not going back there first bat without my tab. Yeah. And uh, they give you, like, your AAR bullets. And if one of them is, like, your PT is, like, an, a sustain, you failed. They're telling you your PT is good and you didn't do anything else good at all.
2: Yeah. Um, you mean, like, your physical, physical fitness? Yeah. yeah. They're like, like yeah, that's you're, all you're good at? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, I didn't get told that on that look. So, I was like, I think I'm good. Yeah. And you get back. you get back to uh, Camp Darby and they... They call you up one by one, and they tell you if, how you did on your peer reviews and how you did on your patrols. And I was one of three for goes, and all you need is one go to yeah. move on. But then after that, mountains in Florida was a breeze. Like Platoon, really? platoon operations, first look go. Um, this tent in mountains, it's two five-day patrols, and Florida's a 10-day patrol. Um, but you know if you're second look, you get, you get assigned to be the medic or the RTO, you passed.
2: So with these breakdowns, can you uh, kind of synopsize – two things. One, just the, the general structure of ranger school, but then also like what you're talking about. Cause you, even for me, like some of the things I I don't completely understand, um, like what the objectives are just kind of basically speaking. Well, so each phase, you have Darby
1: mountain and Florida phase, or they call it swamp, swamp phase. Um, it's broken down into 21 day sections. The first week is generally like instruction so in mountains you learn how to repel which i don't know how that's safe to teach people who are sleep deprived but we do it no one died (laughs) um you learn you do some rehearsals for setting a patrol base setting in an ambush doing doing all those graded tasks have the ranger handbook and then their 10-day patrol you get a packet that has your information like you'd be getting in the jock overseas and you got to do your train model and do all that stuff in your patrol base out in the woods and 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 brief it, and then
2: execute like a fake mission. Yeah.
1: So anywhere from anywhere from five to twenty k. It's hard to remember. You you got to map it all out yourself. And I want to say the RIs have instructions. Like their ranger instructors, if you start veering, like you're leaving the grid square and yeah. you're not going the right way, they'll stop you and get you redirected. Yeah. Um, but like part of your grid task is they'll stop you and say, "All right, Mike." One on the map. Where are you? Yeah, and if one of your guys, I'm being graded, and they ask you that, and you have no idea where you are, I fail.
2: Really? Yeah. So does it? Do they break it down where, like, each day a different guy is running the show, and and that's your evaluation? Yeah. So they're, the graded
1: positions were uh, platoon leader, platoon sergeant, and then your four squad leaders. Um, so if you got picked for one of those positions, you knew what tasks you had. Weapon squad leader generally one of the easier ones, like. Are your machine guns awake in the patrol base? Can you set your guys in on a support by fire? Will your guns work? And can you withdraw up the objective? Other than that, and then keeping them informed. Yeah. Um, the squad leader positions were graded for 24 hours. So you, you had part of your go or no go was a random section of your day. So it's up to the RI if they want to grade you on your movement. And your patrol base operations. So it doesn't really matter how bad you did on the objective. If no. those are the two they were really grading you on and you pass those. I got you. But you don't know. Yeah. And then platoon sergeant and uh, platoon leader switch halfway. Oh, okay. So it's a 12-hour graded position.
2: Okay. okay. So Darby is kicking the nuts, selection, weeding out phase. Then you do mountain stuff and then swamp, mm-hmm. land warfare. Yeah, to me it got easier. Yeah. Like you got hungrier yeah. and more tired, but. Cause it's a total of like 65 think, uh, days, 60. I think it's 63, 63. Um, were there guys that, I mean, you, you were already on a deployment. I know it, it wasn't super action packed, but I can imagine that depending on, you know, what was going on and, and whatever that you'd get guys that would go through ranger school that had been on a gnarly fucking combat deployment prior to that. No.
1: Yeah. We had a guy in my squad. He was a, he was a Sergeant first class He's from the, <coughs> from the conventional army. Um, but he'd he's seven, he'd been in for had A while. to be had to be ten years at that time. And that was two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. Yeah. So he'd been on, on so, some fucking crazy So he had to have seen some stuff and this guy broke down crying in the patrol base.
2: Really? Yeah. But it
1: just affects the sleep. The sleep yeah. affects everyone differently.
2: Well and, and calorie deficiency. I mean, those two things are, are two two of the major components of interrogating people. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's your school or what like there's some uh psyop type stuff that can you know mind fuck you and whatever but those two things lay the foundation that make makes your mind super malleable and easy to fucking manipulate you know so i'm surprised they do some of the things that they do teaching wise repelling you know whatever but do you know if were there any guys that you were aware of that had been on ranger deployments that had, had seen some pretty decent combat action prior to getting their tab and then going there
1: not that i went with personally um but I did have a couple guys I went through RaSP with. They were on I forget the objective name. It was the, uh, the objective overseas where Cat Marino was killed. Mm. Um, three guys I went through RaSP with were, were privates on that deployment, and they ended up going to Ranger School after that. so oh, wow. they got I mean they got yeah. Purple Hearts and yeah, and whatever else was awarded after that objective and seeing yeah. the things they saw, and then they're larping in the woods,
2: yeah, in Dahlonega. It seems kind of strange to me that it's set up that way. Um, I mean, because there's like in the SEAL teams, it, it, there's more of a pipeline where like that's just not possible. I mean, by the time you're in a SEAL platoon, like you've got to try it, and you're one of the guys. I mean, granted, you're still a new guy and you're gonna get fucked with, but like there's there's no more selection type training uh, schools at that point.
1: I, I almost look at it as once you once you finish once you finish RASP and you and you, you get your scroll and you get your Tambrey. It's almost like the selection, They people always want to say selection's ongoing. Like, you got to earn it every day, which I get it. Everyone likes their mottos. But it's almost like you, you're you not truly in Ranger Battalion until you get your tab. Yeah. So it's almost like you're, almost like an internship. Like, when you're a private in Ranger bat, like, you're there. Like, you're a Ranger. But <clears throat> until you get your tab, yeah. I feel like you technically, by definition, are still in selection. Yeah. Even though Ranger School is not part of
2: Ranger Regiment. Okay, well, that makes sense because yeah, I mean, <coughs> I guess the thing that's kind of confusing is guys from the conventional army will go through Ranger School, get a Ranger tab, but the, you know, some people are like yeah, I'm a Ranger, like no, you're not. Yeah, well, you got you got guys that
1: you can be in the conventional army, go to Ranger School, be an E four or an E five with your Ranger tab, and then decide you want to go to Ranger Battalion. So we had one guy, he was kind of an anomaly. He was in Third Ranger Bat, left for whatever reason and then was going back through to go back. But you got guys that are from the conventional Army that are coming to Ranger Battalion, and maybe they already have their tab. So it puts them in an interesting predicament. When they get to their battalion, um, we, we call them imports. Um, and they definitely are treated a little differently at first until you kind of, like, earn your spot. Yeah. Um, but you show up as an E5 from the conventional Army with your tab, the only slotted position for you is a team leader. And you may have no
2: idea. That's, Granted, that seems inefficient. It can be. Um, or, or I guess dangerous almost to me, like not, not ideal.
1: I think it depends on the individual. Yeah. Like the, the the transplant being the individual, not like the, the squad or platoon. Yeah. But some guys came in and were shit hot and picked it up right away. Other guys it took time to to figure it out. Yeah. Um, because when you're drinking from the fire hose of the private, <clears throat> you're kind of ex- expected to fuck up every now and again. Yeah. It's different when you're you're now leading at least three people underneath you that also have no idea what they're going on because they just got here. Yeah.
2: Is there anything that stands out uh, for the entire being an army ranger experience that was not what you expected or super surprising?
1: (laughs) Nothing was super surprising. Um, I was thinking about this today on the flight, actually, like the, the, the pros and cons of like leadership in ranger battalion, like how, it is like an ongoing selection, so you can be, you don't fit in or you don't conform. You just, you're gone. There's not that, like, that unique leadership challenge that, like, the conventional army might have to tackle where this guy just ain't it, but yeah. there's nowhere to send him. Like, you're you're my guy. I got to figure you out. Yeah. Um, Ranger back kind of has, and this varies from, from commander and, and platoon sergeant to platoon sergeant of, like, the— if 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 you don't agree with it or or you don't like it this way, then we don't want you. We don't. You can leave. Um, and I feel like I feel like almost I'll say we we lost a lot of good people that wouldn't reenlist at at that first pivotal reenlistment simply because like they didn't the sergeant major pipeline and ranger bat wasn't for them. Yeah, like that's why I got out is I wanted to continue to be a dog handler. And I got told I have to be a staff sergeant and have to be a squad leader. Yeah.
2: So I left. Wow. Do you find, did you find that there was a lot of competition um, inter-battalion wise, like first, second, third, like, is it competitive or, I mean, because the, with the SEAL teams it's interesting because like on the West Coast you're, you're all, there's four SEAL teams that are within, you throw a fucking baseball from one team to the next, you know. Whereas with the battalions, they're so scattered. Like, is, is that not really as much of a thing?
1: I didn't think so. Yeah. Um, you never really see each other other than it's like slapping hands yeah. during a rip window or at a uh, change of command, like for at, the, at the regimental level, yeah. where it's like everyone's doing PT and no one wants to be there anyway. So it's – yeah, I, ne- I never really felt that. And then when I got to do stuff with the other battalions, dog handlers at, like, joint stuff, It was always fun. Like there was no like, there's no dick measuring or like, our battalion's better. There's the jokes. Like my dog's
2: nuts are bigger than yours.
1: Yeah, there's not wasn't (laughs) a whole lot of that.
2: Yeah. Uh, So getting into that, uh, you go through ranger school, you come back, so now you have your tab. Did you get? um, Did you notice a a shift in terms of how you were viewed now that you were a tab guy with a deployment? Yeah, you. uh,
1: It's weird because you come back and you're immediately. I actually hadn't been in the army long enough to get automatically promoted to e4 so i was i wore specialist rank because that's what you're we supposed to do but i was on paper a pfc with a ranger tab yeah um and you show up and you got guys who are e4s maybe have been in the army a little longer than you because they went to SOPC to try and be a green beret and failed and you had the option to go to rasp i have to stand at parade rest when they talk to you and you <laughs> secretly in your head, you're like, I still have no idea what's going on, but it's okay. Do push-ups. Like, yeah. I'll just fake it till I make it. Yeah. Um. So that was unique. Um. And then I shifted from being uh, a saw gunner as a tab in a, in a line squad to being a machine gun team leader. Um. So that was a little bit of a shift. The first time I had like responsibility over two young rangers, younger rangers' lives. Yeah. Um. So that was definitely a huge difference. Yeah.
2: Um. When was your next deployment after you'd gone through ranger school? Uh, the next one was in 2016.
1: We had a pretty big lull. Um, Bico had a, we missed the uh, rotation. We, the war was winding down a little bit. We got stuck going to, not stuck, it was fun, but we got sent to Germany for a month. So that was like my, my forward rotation as a machine gun team leader. Um, we did some like joint training with the Italian Rangers and German Rangers, and those guys were all super cool. Um, did some weird like daytime exhibition. We wore our nods and stuff just to show these generals from everywhere, like what it looks like. And we yeah. had our comms hooked up to PA system. It was the craziest <laughs> thing. I, so we're infilling on like an Osprey and running through like the field with my nods, like spread open, but it's yeah. and there's generals and bleachers. I tripped and ate shit right in front of them. Um, yeah. so that was a weird trip. Yeah. But it was uh that was like my first time, like taking guy, my, my guys and, letting them drink the night before, then waking them up at 5 a.m. for a surprise rock run or something like that. Like, I got to be that guy. <laughs> um, I was a fire breather as a corporal. I toned it down when I yeah. became a sergeant. Yeah, It's exhausting being that way. Yeah, that's classic.
2: Um, so then you deployed in 2016. Yeah,
1: 2016 we got the, uh, the bogger rotation. So we were like the strike force platoons. Um, two platoons from BCO went. Um, and by that time I was a fire team leader back in the squad I grew up in. Um, my first team leader was now my squad leader. Um, we had a we had a pretty solid group of guys. Uh, we brought one private with us on that deployment. Everyone else was tab spec four or higher. Wow. Um, so that was unique. You don't have anyone to like talk with. Clean stuff. Yeah. It's like my the private we brought was ours. Yeah. So like I had a guy to take the trash out and do all that <laughs> stuff, but the other the other uh, the other squads did not. So the tab yeah. spec fours were grumbling because they they had to be kind of like treated yeah. like privates again. Yeah. Not not like. I won't use the term disrespected, but like hazed. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't to that level, but it. They thought they had earned their keep, and now yeah. they're taking trash out and sweeping the sweeping yeah. the hooch and stuff like that. And yeah. it is what it is.
2: Yeah. Um, from a combat activity-wise standpoint, uh, how how busy or not was that deployment? Uh, well, compared
1: to Sharif, that deployment in 2013, it was pretty action-packed. Yeah. Um, it's, it was nowhere near the op tempo that guys were experiencing in 09, and stuff like that um but from my perspective like that being like the first deployment where we went out and
2: Excellent. and got after Excellent. it it was what was it, the the general um i guess overarching mission set of why you were there what, like what was the the goal you were trying to accomplish at the team leader
1: level to me it was just it was always kill capture missions or mainly kill yeah um,
2: but I mean like, did anybody ever sit you down and say, Hey, you know, this is the area we're in. Here's who, who we're going after. Like even, even from kind of a big principle, 30,000 foot view standpoint, like.
1: No, really? I didn't No, And look, looking like, so looking at what I do now as a police officer and like thinking back that the little, the little view that I had as a team leader, I wish I would have expanded upon it. Yeah. Um, not that it would have helped me where I'm at now. Just, I think it, would have been more professionally developing to, to really like try and take a step back and understand. Yeah. Um, I got really fixated on know my job and know the job above me. Yeah. It's like if my squad leader went down, I knew I could, I knew I could at least rifle through and get people back. Yeah. Um, but I never like ISR watch and sitting in the jock was like, none of the team leaders wanted to do it. And looking looking back at it is probably, probably a major minus on all our part. Um, yeah, it was, if we had if we had a mission it was kind of this like this faceless image of like all right that guy
2: yeah or so, so pretty much most of what you were doing was high value targets or some sort of
1: yeah some, some, something from like from signal intelligence um, high value target or basically just stirring stuff up in a, in a province that Americans haven't been in a little while yeah um, and that's what we did that deployment and like every night every night that one of the platoons went out they were took contact
2: yeah we're we uh, are I guess from from a length of deployment standpoint, how, how long were you there? I think there are 105 days okay uh, and in that that deployment, um, were there operations that stood out that went exceptionally well or horribly wrong?
1: every night we went out not, not every, we didn't go out every night, but every night that we went out like stands out to me because I didn't get a whole a whole ton of like action packed combat experience so I can come back and say 105 day deployment I did. 110 missions. Yeah. Um, it was nowhere like that, but of the four four or five times we went out that trip, in addition to, to being um, with one of the SEAL teams on a, a different outpost, kind of like waiting to launch on this HR thing, every night was like a crazy show. That shit. was close. Wow.
2: Hey, guys, I wanted to uh, talk about something that I've incorporated into my daily routine, my morning routine, that has had a remarkable impact on my life. Uh, it's called BioPro+. Uh, it's a non-synthetic HGH uh, treatment, and uh, you know, every year after puberty, your HGH levels naturally drop, uh, and exponentially sometimes uh, can even drop by by fifty percent by the time you're thirty five. Uh, I train jujitsu three or four times a week. I lift three four times a week, and BioPro Plus, uh, without question, uh, enhances my ability to train more uh, days per week, harder. Recover faster, uh, enhance performance. I cannot say enough good things about this product. I've been taking it for a few months. Uh, it's, it's remarkable, and I will continue to, to do so. Um, if you want to uh, you know, perform better, look better, feel better, uh, I, I can't stress it enough. I, I've tried Plus, uh and I encourage you to go to bioproteintech.com uh, and if you want to get $30 off your first order, use the code MICDROP, MikeDrop M-I-K-E-D-R-O-P, And again, that's bioproteintech.com. I cannot stress enough. This stuff has uh, been a game changer for me as I've gotten older. I want to take a second to talk about something near and dear to my heart, and that is a staunch supporter of this podcast, which is Bub's Naturals. Uh, The hat sitting in front of me uh, here on our coffee table here in the studio belonged to Glenn Doherty. His nickname was Bub. Uh, I did two platoons with him. And his childhood best friend uh, and another colleague of theirs, uh, Sean is the best friend, TJ is their colleague, uh, started Bub's Naturals, which is a collagen and MCT oil company uh, in Bub's or Glenn's honor. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, an absolute honor to be sponsored by and working with a company that, um, you know, was started in the honor of one of my closest friends and, and a guy that I went to war with and uh you know the the bubs brand is not only super quality um you know collagen uh, collagen powder as well as mct oil powder um you know but they also give back to the glen Doherty memorial foundation uh, they donate proceeds from their product sales to the glen Doherty memorial foundation which uh you know to me just furthers uh you know the the mission set on veterans day they give 100 percent back so uh, I do believe it's the best collagen on the planet. Uh, I like to mix it in with uh, morning coffee. The MCT oil powder, the same thing, uh, mixes in very easy. It tastes great uh, and it just kind of adds everything that you want to start your day off from a brain health standpoint, from joint support, gut support, um, you know, MCT oil and collagen are, are two components, especially as, as we age uh, that are integral components to, uh, to health. And so uh, to be able to work with bubs naturals and uh, be able to to work with them and, and sponsor a product that uh number one is a high quality product and number two is is so near and dear to uh you know to my heart and to the mic drop podcast for for who it uh, was started for and what it stands for um you know it's just uh, it's an amazing amazing place to be so um it is whole 30 approved um it's uh, sport certified, so you're not uh, going to run into any problems with that. Um, and I will say that, um, you know, right now they're, they're offering uh, 20% <clears> twenty percent <throat> off if you go to bubsnaturals.com and uh, use the mic drop code. So uh, I really highly encourage you to, to try it out. Incorporate it into your day, day-to-day for joint health, for brain health, uh, for cognition, for gut health. And, uh, and to support an amazing organization that does a lot of things uh, in Glenn Bubb's honor. So uh, go to bubsnaturals.com. Mic drop is the code, 20% off. Can you uh, tell us any of the stories of, of what you did?
1: Yeah, I've uh, vividly remember the uh, I want to say this was the first time I've been in like live contact. I was actually asleep on the 47th floor. I, yeah. was just, I was the lowest team leader, so I'm asleep on the floor, and uh, I wake up, I'm plugging to ICS, and I the comms on the helicopter and I hear the, the pilot start saying, I lost control around had actually gone through the ramp and hit the hydraulic lines. Yeah. Um, and before that I remember I had like kind of like buzzing awake to the, to a second round of the miniguns going off, which I thought was weird. Like they test fired and then they're shooting again. Yeah. Well, it turns out we were in a gunfight in the air and nobody knew I'm just, or you didn't know. Yeah. Cause I'm asleep. <laughs> uh, so I wake up and I just hear I lost control. So I just, Ignorance is bliss. I just unplug. I don't need to hear it. If we're going to die, I'll just die. I don't want (laughs) to listen to my demise. Um, We ended up just having a hard landing. Couldn't get the ramp down. Uh, I remember seeing my squad leader, or the weapon squad leader um, at the time, like trying to pull security with his M4 out of the back of the ramp. And I don't know how far we had flown from being in contact and um, actually had a buddy that was in the jock. He he ended up being the vet tech. He said he was watching it and actually saw an RPG round go through like in it going through a rotor blade and didn't didn't detonate wow but he's like I don't know how you all didn't die
0: yeah
1: um so we're we finally get the ramp down dump dump fuel we had two seal liaisons out with us that were like what the heck is going on um the other the other bird that didn't take as much damage was was circling above our heads and finally we dump a little bit of fuel and we get back to Sharana and I'm watching the 160th guys patch the blades and and bullet holes with tape, 100-mile-an-hour tape. And then we needed five volunteers to fly back to Bagram on that bird just in case it went down or they had to land for a security team. And, of course, being the, the lowest team leader, I'm mapping the Earth back in yeah. at sunrise in this 47 that just got shot up Damn. that I just listened to the pilot say I can't yeah. control
2: it. I'm surprised. I mean, it could still fly.
1: Yeah, we like got back. We were literally, like, I had been told what mapping the Earth was, but I never done it in a helicopter at least to that extent like in training where they do it and they're like at the treetop level and you're still pretty high off the ground proper but over there when you're flying and you're having to raise elevation to go over mud hut walls and then dipping down into compounds and you can look through the window and see
2: holy shit people waking up so you're like less than 50 feet above the ground in a lot of cases
1: yeah it was it was a wild ride and it the sun's up too so you're like damn you're still kind of you're riding high a little bit, but you're also crashing from the adrenaline from, what, six, seven hours ago where you, yeah. you took that initial contact. Um, <clears throat> I remember we had a, uh, two professors got, got kidnapped by, I want to say it was a Taliban. <clears throat> Taliban or Al-Qaeda, but they kidnapped from the University of Kabul. And this was about to be my very first mission. We're on the 47 to go rescue these guys. And the president stood us down for uh, Silver Squadron to get blown out of Virginia Beach to come over. So seventy-two hours later, they end up actioning the target, and the guys were gone. Yeah, I think that I think one of them got recovered like two years later. Wow, I couldn't imagine being. I would start like chopping myself in the neck, to like die. Yeah, man, that's horrible.
2: Do you know? I mean, do you have any idea why why they stood you guys doing it down and had uh, Silver Squadron come over and do it?
1: I don't know. My understanding it was a presidential call.
2: Like our president or the, our
1: president? Our president really? Um, because we were.
2: So, I mean, that would have been Trump at that time in 2016 or, uh, or was, he was not that Trump?
1: I think that was, I think that was Obama.
2: Okay. Yeah. I, I guess technically Trump didn't come in till January of 17. Yeah. So. I
1: think that was Obama. Cause we were, that was the same deployment. We had the uh, government shutdown too. So we're okay. over there not getting paid. Um, but I remember like we, we briefed it. Um, we got on the 47s and I'm looking at my, my squad leader. He's like, you ready to go? I was like, do it just like anything else. We're just instead of just everyone in there is bad. We got to find the good guy. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we we I think we we cleared the actual Bagram fence, and then I felt the forty seven start turning around. They said we got stood down. Yeah.
2: That's a fucking wild ride. Um. Any other of the other few times that you went out on that deployment? Um. Any significant gunfights? Yeah, we had one. Um. This is actually this is this is probably
1: the the most this is the closest I've been personally dying. I think it was like divine intervention this night. Um we walked about five six K. Um after the helicopter had got shot down six. it did not want to go within like audible distance of targets. So we were doing not quite an offset, but I mean six, seven K you can still hear the bird. So we're walking. The ICOM chatter is going up the little walkie talkies. We start getting to target and uh we're still doing a slow and deliberate movement to contact and I'm I'm moving up to a building and our dog at the time, uh, Iris, um, she actually indicates to a pressure plate in this breach that was supposed to be the target compound. Luckily, right as I was getting close to, I would have been far within, been safe and could have been totally fucked up. Um, but I confirmed my love of the dogs yeah. and kind of like, yes, that's what I want to go do. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up, we ended up getting in a small, uh, small gunfight, not myself. I was on a security position and a buddy of mine actually shot this dude in the chest and he crumples back in the house and they kind of gave us like the, all right, what do you guys want to do? Well, let's go throw a frag grenade in there and see if anyone comes out. <laughs> so true Ranger fashion, we move up, yeah. kick the door and throw a frag in, blows up. <clears throat> of course the guy doesn't come out cause we just blew him up. What do you want to do now? You want to throw another frag, <laughs> and our commander gave us the green light to throw a thermal Barrett grenade. And I looked at my squad; there, I was like, "Yeah, let's do that." Yeah. So we throw that in the house, and it brings the whole structure down because it's just mm-hmm. made of mud and sticks. So we, that was like a big no-no. And I was supposed to like level structures without like GFC approval. Yeah, that was an organic munition. Like it was a handheld. Like yeah. I can't assume it's going to bring a whole bring down a, a whole again. single single family home down. Yeah. Um. But that one team leader's round was effective. He was. He was dead in the door with an RPG next to him. And then we ended up moving on to another another compound right behind it. Um, The KK, the Afghan, like, Special Operations Commando guys, let in. um, And we ended up taking machine gun fire from in the house. And two of them somehow continued clearing. Instead of breaking contact and dealing with what we had, ended up in the building, like, adjacent to where this guy is barricaded with a machine gun. Yeah just kind of like flagging us with their guns. So I remember getting in a shouting match with the guy that doesn't speak English as I'm telling him to stop pointing his gun at me or I'm gonna shoot him. <laughs> and my platoon sergeant had to come like, give me that tactile, like grab my arm. Like, yeah, you need to calm down or I'm gonna have to pull you out. And I was like, what do you mean? He was, you're yelling. I was like, he's pointing his gun at me. Like I'm gonna shoot him before this guy does. Yeah. Came back to reality. We came up with this crazy plan of I'm gonna throw a nine banger. And while it's going off, they need to run out. So we had the Terp come up, tell them. They give us a thumbs up. We throw the nine banger, and they don't run. Ninth bang goes off, small amount of silence, and then they start running. <laughs> so we're up at the breach, and my squad leader started shooting over the wall. goes cold. I get up in the, in the wall, start shooting, and I can feel the machine gun fire, like, ripping through this, the, the gate. Mm-hmm. I can feel, like, the adobe coming off the wall. And I still, I can't even see the muzzle flash from this, this gun. So I'm just kind of shooting into the dark, into this house. And they run out. And I don't know if they prayed an extra time that day. Ran right through this barrage of gunfire. One of them had a hole through his sling, his backpack, and his shirt. He hit his nods off the crossbar of the gate coming through. So he, while machine gun fire is going off, hits the crossbar, bounces back, and then walks out. And then looks at me. And I'm holding them. I was like, "Are you good? Good, good. <laughs> okay." There's no way. And and right as they go past us, me and me and the other team leader, uh, good buddy of mine, is standing next to me. We just hear ting, ting, ting. And we both look at each other and boom, big old flash. But I didn't feel any any pain. And we look at each other through our tubes, and we both look down to make sure we still have our legs. I'm still convinced the the guy didn't screw his uh, blasting cap into his frag grenade enough yeah. and when he threw it out of the house, because it must have hit and broke off. We never like we didn't stay a look and see if there was a frag body on the ground, but I don't know what else that would have been. Yeah, dude, that's crazy, man. Um, so we end up pulling back and a sixty-four uh, Apache does a gun run on the house and yeah, and we leave, and that was that that yeah. was that that was the night.
2: And nobody none of your guys got hurt. Other than some wounded clothes, yeah, <laughs> it
1: was, it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. The fact that a, a grenade broke apart and then this arguably suppressive gunfire threw the only breach into these walls. These yeah. two Afghan guys were able just to run at, lollygag out, yeah, with like not even effective suppressive fire because I don't yeah. think we were even shooting at this guy. I don't know where he was.
2: Do you know? Was it just the one guy in there, or were there more? Do you know? We only ever heard one machine gun going off,
1: and the guy didn't like. It wasn't like yelling at us, so we don't know okay. for sure. Um, and we never did like a, a damage assessment after the gun run. Yeah. The commander was just like, "Let's get out of here." Yeah.
2: How how close were you guys to that structure when the gun run took place? Oh, the gun run.
1: We were we were two hundred meters away. Oh, I got you. Yeah, we were <clears throat> we were we were we were we were pretty far off. And I think it was just flechette rounds. Like we didn't they didn't drop like a hellfire on it or anything. Yeah, man.
2: The. Um, <clears throat> The grenades there are weird that way, I think. Uh to me it's a dumb way to have them for that reason. Screwing a blasting cap into a housing. You know, there's room more room for error than something that's already prepackaged the way ours are. Yeah. But That uh, was almost like the training training
1: grenades. Like yeah. you like you gotta put like, the training bang, shoes in. Like that's yeah. what what <laughs> I feel like he threw at us, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, super, super lucky. No doubt. We got back we actually got back to the fob and my buddy the other team leader had mentioned that he caught like something hit him in the face. Yeah. So yeah. because it had been a slower a slower rotation, the first sergeant was like, "You need to go get checked out by medical," and, and started like the purple heart process. Yeah. And he <laughs> comes back with not even a scratch on his face. And I was like, I was like, "You're going to get a purple heart for that?" So that was like the a, sh- a short running joke. Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Probably never heard the end of it. Uh, was that the last operation you guys went on on that deployment?
1: Uh, we had we had one other one where we weren't the primary primary okay. platoon, um, but I remember we we were leading out. We we got in a what I thought was a gunfight. It turned into just we shot. We were shooting. Oh okay. Um, we were gonna we were gonna get ambushed, and the and the lead squad did their job. Um, problem is, I only carried one radio, so I didn't have the fires channel. So as we're we're clearing through and, and we're waiting. I guess they called it called in for an Apache to do a gun run on the position they they shot these guys and I didn't know it was coming. So I have this cliff above me and I hear what to me sounds like could be like a saw on the ridge like opening up on us. Yeah. So I hit the deck and jump in this hole, bust my shin open <laughs> and I another like I thought I'm dying. Yeah. And it was our, our, our helicopter.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fucking classic, man.
1: Yeah, so I made it a point in the future to be the, very uh, aware of like have a communicator close yeah. to me or beat like my squad leader with his fires yeah. radio, like, hey, no there's a gun run coming. No doubt.
2: On that entire deployment, did you guys uh have any any guys get hurt um significant enough to, to be sent home?
1: No, we didn't. We were uh we were very lucky. Um the only the o- The only casualty we had was a uh a KK platoon sergeant. He yeah. was actually he was actually killed. Um he was a he was super squared away. He was uh he was like the Afghan equivalent of like what you'd expect like the salty like Ranger platoon sergeant to be like yeah. when the KK guys were at the range. He was crazy. If they whip. if they weren't zeroing their gun within 10 rounds, like and were, and shooting tight grips, he was on their ass. Yeah. Um and it was another a similar situation to what we had when my platoon was on target where the bullets started going and all of a sudden there's like guys in a building and yeah. other guys are not in the building and you're trying to like like count your dudes they were short one oh, wow. and it was it was he got shot and was in, in there and the platoon was able to rescue him and get him out but he didn't make it no yeah uh
2: so you, all right so you go home from that deployment uh how long were you home before uh your your next phase of getting into dogs and all that some for a week oh shit
1: yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> were
2: you you were you married at this time i or? was oh shit so, yeah
1: so i got married in uh 2015 this deployment, 2016, my wife knew I wanted to go to K-9. I had, there was a there was an opening when I was a corporal in Germany, and my platoon sergeant asked me to stay to be a team leader, and then he would get me over there. So on that deployment, I was hanging down at the kennel on Baff. Um, the kennel master happened to be there, and they, the guy that was handling one of the dogs was my weapon squad leader. He ended up taking that slot from Germany. Um, told them I, I still want to come, filled out my TDY paperwork and travel voucher without even having orders to K-9 or, like, my first sergeant signing off on it. Went back to the talk, talked to my platoon sergeant, talked to the first sergeant, and they were cool with it. The only thing I had to do was call my wife and make sure that I can go from getting back from Afghanistan to go to Indiana for seven weeks. Yeah. Called her. She said, yeah. She's like, I mean, you're already gone for 100. What's another seven weeks? like? <laughs> Is, she's just used, understanding to, used to me being gone. Like, we didn't have kids at the time, yeah. um, and she's awesome. Like she's always supported everything I want to do. Like in a blink of an eye. Like yeah. even like, even coming out here. Like yeah. hey, I know it's my first day off. Yeah, go. Just yeah. Bye. I'll see yeah. you when you get back. Yeah. Like.
2: I'll be here. Did you meet her uh, in Georgia? We did. Yeah. Um,
1: kind of a funny story. How we met? My sniper buddy actually introduced us. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was it was our platoon sniper. Um he was he was going through some stuff and she my wife now and her friend were living in the sniper's house. Oh really? Like, yeah. And uh it was one of those things like bring a case of beer over and and you'll probably get laid. And I didn't get laid. <laughs> and I think that's <laughs> you what brought the beer though. I did. She drank <laughs> yeah. it all. I think that's what like I think if we I think if it would have gone different that first night we probably wouldn't be where we are but
2: Yeah. That's fucking classic. But resiliency on my yeah. part I wore it down. <laughs> Did, does she know that 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 was the? goal? Oh yeah, yeah she yeah. knows. Did she know that that night that was the goal?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because I got I got shut down hard, <laughs> and then the next time I was over, I got shut down hard again. Uh but, man, yeah, third time's a charm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I learned it in Ranger School. Just <laughs> <Yeah>. be resilient. <laughs> just don't just, don't, just quit. don't quit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's fucking great. Hopefully, your kids will watch this someday when they yeah get one day. Yeah. I'll probably have it.
1: I probably already told them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's good shit. Um, all right, so you're home for a week. You uh, managed to to get everything worked out. You go right to, uh, I'm assuming, Von Lick, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. so uh, moved all my stuff down to the kennel and then had that weekend and drove to 375 to pick up a dog. We were turning and made the 13-whatever-hour drive it is with the an old yeah. government truck and a trailer in the back with two Malinois I'd never met in my life before. Yeah.
2: Did, I mean, other than the experience that you had overseas, um, you know, where that dog was a very pivotal moment for you, growing up, much interaction with dogs. Like, had you had much involvement with dogs prior to that?
1: Um, we had. I mean, grow, I got bit in the face by a German Shepherd we had growing up. It was your I, own dog. I don't remember the dog at all. I, just, I was a kid, and my, yeah. we had this dog that bit me in the face. I learned don't pet dogs while they're eating. I, I teach everyone <laughs> that still to this day. Um, but nothing that stands out. We always had pet dogs. No, Not, I had a pretty close bond with this Husky we rescued. But other than that, I I tried to like be that annoying, like weird police cadet with the police canine handlers at the department. Looking back now, like yeah. I know, like I was probably super annoying yeah. and like,
2: like oh, but I thought I was like again. trying to be the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had to look, at this nerd wants to pet yeah. my dog again. <laughs> but
1: at the time I thought that was like, if I build this resume, if I caught this many dogs, people will care. Yeah. Um, But no, like, getting the ranger bat and and hearing as a private, this dog Blondie, like, do this crazy cackle scream before coming to hunt for me in this dark building while I'm just standing in the corner shitless in a bite suit, just hoping not to get bit in the hand or the face, was awesome. Yeah. And I was like, it's got to be way cooler being on the other side. Yeah.
2: Getting to, to scare everybody that way. Yeah. All right, so you make it up to uh, to Indiana for handler school. Uh, you got two two Malinois. Were you bringing one for somebody else, or
1: we we're actually returning both of them? Oh, okay. Um, we we're returning both of those dogs, um, and we got uh, it was me, two guys from one seven five, a guy from three seven five, and two 275
2: handlers amongst
1: a bunch of Green Beret guys in our class too.
2: It was all special operations guys, or were there police canine guys at that? So the way. Von Lick Kennels was
1: doing it at the time was there was a, like a, like a SOCOM, I don't know what they labeled it as, SOCOM or SOG class or whatever. That was Green Braves and Rangers. They had a concurrent or like slightly like off schedule, but at the same time police class going on. And then for whatever reason, the Marsot guys had their own. Yeah. So I don't know why the Marsot guys were, I maybe that's just how the Marine Corps worked their contract. Yeah. Um, but we got, everyone had, green dogs for that and then turns out one of the third group dudes that was there as a prior handler just going through the course again because they were getting another dog
2: yeah um what so what uh, dog did you get assigned first
1: I got assigned Benny um I knew going in that he was not going to be my dog which is kind of kind of deflating like I was super excited uh this dog shot out of the the kennel when they're like when Kenny brings you over and goes, This is your dog, opens the gate, and you don't still don't know have any idea what you're doing. You just stuck a couple thermometers and some test dogs' butts <laughs> to learn about medical stuff, and you still don't know anything. Um, and this dog jumps out, and it, I was hooked. Yeah, um, that dog was awesome. Um,
2: why was he not your dog?
1: The, I think just the way 175's kennel we had enough dogs for the MTO stuff, just not enough handlers, and 375 needed a dog. But needed more dogs, but didn't need enough handlers. So there's one guy there, two dogs are going to 375. Okay.
2: So basically you were putting Benny through handler school, and then he was going to 375. Yeah. And you were going back to one where there was already a dog that had been through it. Yeah. Hand. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I had Benny. We went through the, the basic handler course. Um, get all attached, and then you got to see him go. Oh, super. I mean, I have, he would end up, we'll get to it. He, end, he ends up getting killed on target. Um, but I got Benny tattooed on my chest. I like, oh, yeah. That dog, like just the seven weeks I had with that yeah. dog, like that kind of like solidified the fire. Like, yeah. this is what I want to do forever. Yeah. Um what? I used to carry him around like a baby. Like a big he was like a big like shepherd mal mix. He had to be 85 pounds. Yeah. And um with the trainer up there, Bobby, he'd always you can't love that dog that much. You can't you can't do that stuff. And I was like, hey, it'll be all right. He still bites hard <laughs> and still finds bombs, like it'll be okay. Yeah.
2: Was well, he, uh, do you know about how old he was when you went through with him?
1: I wanna say he was two. Two. I think all the dogs were right around 18 to 24 months. Yeah.
2: Um, do you know what happened? So he went to 375. Do you know the the operation he was on when he was? I launched? do actually. I got a little bit
1: of closure. Not, I'll call it closure. Yeah. I, I watched the ISR footage. Oh wow. Um, I was. Oh, I think I was out already. So I remember. I remember I got the phone call. I was in the police academy. It was a long drive home. Yeah. Um, Man. Wasn't the first and wasn't going to be the last time uh shed tears over a dog um but i got the call and uh a lot of the handlers that i was i was in the kennel with i just went over there whenever they pulled it up showed me he did his job yeah. Scored her chase and the guy ended up having a gun and he started shooting So rangers had a shot back and the dog dog ended up getting getting shot um but in the, the day everyone went home yeah which is
2: is ultimately which is the yeah goal, it yeah.
1: sounds morbid to say but
2: well I, yeah I mean that's certainly a question that I, uh, I I hear or see get asked a lot I mean even people ask me you know from the time I was a trainer like you know you're training these dogs to go into situations that they're not completely aware of the the amount of danger they're going into and I, I don't agree that they're completely naive to the fact I mean I'd be curious to ask you the same question or, or ask if you think the same is that you know to me that you can see a tangible difference in the dog's behavior training versus not um and i also don't think that they're completely naive they may not understand to the depths that we do of, of the danger that they're in but um I, I don't see them viewing it completely as training either you know
1: no i think we're on the same page i think yeah. when it comes to, like detection it's like we just tricked you, especially if we're yeah. dogs like There's no way for them to comprehend what they're looking for. Like, I'm glad I'll never handle explosive dog again in my life. Um, Yeah, when it comes to the bite work stuff, like.
2: Yeah, they know the fucking drill. I mean.
1: Well, and especially if, for anyone that's had that dog, like, bite someone for real versus. even Or even if you haven't. Like, the guys that have had set up a realistic training scenario on a hidden sleeve or a rubber arm or done, like, a carpet bite. Yeah. And they see the dog's physical demeanor is totally different oh yeah when they're biting that way versus when they're biting a suit and yeah. it's it's this is how we do it and this is a fun game yeah
2: I, I mean i can tell you from having been bit for real versus you know without a suit by a dog that was fucking angry Sucks. versus versus a you know being in a suit and then whatever there yeah there's a a stark contrast in, in the way that the dog behaves and um and and it's something that you can for sure feel but um Anyway, so uh, I guess going back to Benny, so that was uh, after you got out. But um, So Benny goes to 375. You go back to 175 and now get your first dog. Yeah, we had a uh, – I want to say it was three weeks. We were back for three weeks from VLK, and then we go back
1: to Fort Benning for like the Ranger Advanced Canine Handler course where the, dog, the dogs were up there at Fort Benning already with the regimental trainer, uh, Merritt Royal, doing – uh, the initial laser training, helicopter, like neutrality, um, some gunfire stuff, and like charging the clicker. Um, and then we go up there to join the dogs to basically start the progression over at a faster tempo, so now we see it, and they're just kind of getting polished up. Um, and that's where Witty was. Um, that was the dog that my former squad leader was handling. Um, he actually lives at my house now. Um, the world's loudest mountain wall on the planet. <laughs> he is so, it's like a, it's not quite sharp because it's not like an aggressive reaction, but he just has to be loud at everything. Yeah. Which arguably is not a good yeah. dog for an assault force, <laughs> but yeah, I tried my best at the advanced course to wheel and deal. To
2: like I don't tr- even think it's hard to argue that that, that well, that's he would shut up. Event. The only way you could shut
1: him up um, and the handler after me, who's still a good buddy of mine can attest. The only way to shut him up is if he's off lead, yeah, and he's quiet. Quiet, yeah. and he can go do his, like, like pass, passive detection as we're mo- yeah. doing our movement, but, like, if you had him on a hip lead or a, a long line and anybody gets in front of him, he yeah. had to be in the front of the pack, yeah. or he's just going to squeak. He, he'd wear a bark collar on infill. Wow. <clears throat> and he learned real quickly that him squeaking did not set the bark collar off. <laughs> but he still does the squeaking. It drives me insane at the house.
2: Uh, that's fucking great. we um, got to get a video of
1: that. Yeah. But he tried. I tried to wheel and deal to get to get witty. Yeah, I'll tell. I'll tell witty to his face. I tried to wheel and deal to yeah. get witty to go to three seven five and bring yeah. Benny to one seven five. Yeah, um, and I think at the time, the regimental trainer thought it was a good idea, um, but the three seven five trainer at the time, uh, I remember his last name Nate. He was a SF guy. that wasn't having it. Yeah, yeah he wanted Benny. Yeah, which I don't blame him. Yeah,
2: um, with. Uh, with the, the regimental uh, group of dogs, do you know about how many dogs there are regimentally in the rangers? I think it's close to 12 for a battalion. Okay. I remember we had
1: 12 at 175, plus or minus, yeah. at any given time.
2: And each battalion's about the same.
1: Yeah, and I, it might have <clears throat> been dwindled down now because every, every battalion went down to three. So it's one, one dog per platoon, so nine plus one or two for spare dogs. Yeah. So 12 is probably still a fair number. Yeah.
2: Are, are the canine units, to your knowledge, battalion-wise, still at that same capacity?
1: Yeah, as far as, yeah. as far as I'm aware, yeah.
2: Because I've heard that uh, the like the Seal Canine program is getting fucking disbanded. Is it? Yeah, that's what I heard. Um, I hope that's not the case, but it sounds like it is. Um,
1: I'd hate to see it be absolved and then yeah, I mean, find ourselves in a conflict where you need it again and have to reinvent the wheel.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's to me, it's because it's not like. Uh, a different weapons platform or, you know, something like that where it's a an inanimate capability that, that can be kind of piggybacked on to other things that you're already doing. I mean, no pun intended, it's a totally different animal, you know, and, yeah. and it's one of those things. I mean, it's almost like a, like a capability. It's not like a – it is a capability. So it's like, hey, we're not going to do sniper anymore. And then fucking 10 years goes by like, shit, we need to start sniper school back up. It's like, well, now you don't have any guys with – sustained years or decades of sniper experience and and you're having to start from nothing and i think you know especially with the dogs because they're they're living breathing animals it's not a a piece of equipment you know that you just need to brush back up on like they're all different Uh, one it's not something that
1: there there are certain dogs that you can you can have the guy that's yeah okay and the dog can do it you just need you to bring them to Target, or yeah. like my dog now in the police department. If he had thumbs, he could drive the car. He doesn't yeah. need me. Yeah. The, but you can't just replicate handlers. Yeah. Out of nowhere, especially if you need them now.
2: Yeah. And and fuck, I mean, most dogs aren't those push button dogs. No. You know, I mean, those are hard to find. Um, man, that's wild that's wild. Um, anyway, so all right, so you got uh, at at Benning is where like the the entire regiment. Core group of dogs is, and then they they spit them out to each yeah, each so, battalion. So either. the dog
1: the dogs will go to the regimental kennel for that advanced course. And I don't I don't know if they have a, a large population of dogs there when there's no advanced course. Yeah. Um, my understanding is they tried like a green dog program for a little bit that didn't work out, um, and I think they're procuring the VOK lost the contract for the for the green braids and, and ranger oh, really? dogs. I believe I don't know all the details. Um, but they are getting dogs from different places now yeah. so I'm sure stuff's changed here and there. Um, I still talk to the 175 trainer here and there and, and see clips of training and stuff like that. and the dogs are nice yeah um, but just everything just keeps evolving yeah.
2: Um, all right, so you get uh, your dog you go through the advanced course and you go back to 175 with him. How, mm-hmm. how long were you there doing training with him before you deployed with him? Uh, we
1: did the first training training cycle. Um, and then we deployed the next deployment. Um, and I remember vividly my first like full mission profile with the dog. Remember I told you how loud he was. (laughs) So it turned into me trying to manage this dog the whole night with no clue how to manage him, Um, other than like hold the tug up here and get him to look at it. And when he shuts up, I pay him. Like that was the extent of my canine knowledge at that point. Um, so I spent the whole night just trying not to be in the way because I had this loud dog and we're trying to do this simulated raid and ended up doing nothing besides trying to keep this dog quiet. So I got hemmed up. I got yelled at like, you didn't do anything. I was like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, so the next the next training mission we did during TFT, like our, our like culminating week long training we do, like PJs are in there. If we have a, a C O E O D guy going with us, they're all there. Um, I just made him do detection. If I wasn't doing a squirter chase or something like that, he was sniffing walls yeah. for no reason, just because it would make him shut up. Yeah, um, And then I started to find success in that, like self-employ. Um, and that was just a lesson I didn't learn being a team leader because you're taking directive from your squad leader and you're leading your team for to arguably a pre-planned thing. Obviously, the plan doesn't survive the first gunfight, but yeah, you know what you're going to do generally. As a dog handler, like – the guy could score it anywhere or maybe i need to find a where a place to fit in um, so that was an eye-opener um, and then of course once i start to think i figured it out the deployment i went on was to uh, syria which was not the direct action raid deployment that all my training had been for yeah we were doing like the forward line of troops like shooting mortars into raqqa looking at isis flags like it was a it was a really unique weird deployment yeah Did you use the dog at all, really, in that? I did. So we did uh, all daytime, like, uh, ground force movements to set up mortar firing positions, and I would clear the mortar firing positions, some buildings with the dog off lead. Um, Luckily, Woody was super, super clear-headed and social, like, contextually. Like, he wasn't that ranger dog that was just going to go bite anyone. Yeah. Unless he was told to or, like, it it was contextual to him. Yeah. Um, so he was able to do, to do his off-lead detection. Um, never got the memo that the SEAL guy was using a leaf blower <laughs> to help blow, like, this crush wire stuff that was there off. Like, I didn't yeah. – my intel was terrible. I showed up and I was like <laughs> – like, you're talking about the 50,000-foot view. I was like, yeah. I don't even know what. Like, yeah. no one briefed us on what the IED, like, the, yeah. the initiators were like. So I got us schooled in that. It was, like, this crush wire. It was, like, copper wire with, like, computer keyboards and spray adhesive. Wow. Connected to an IED, and they're using, like, these little – Infrared sensors, like at Kroger, like that open the door. Really? So they're using those set to five, six, seventh person, and then it blows it. Wow. So I don't even know what these look like yet. I'm out here doing detection yeah. with the seal guy, and I don't think he didn't know. I didn't know either. Yeah. So finally, we got together and figured it out. Cause I had to ask him why he had the leaf blower. Like, what are you trying to? Like, the He's not just going to blow off the ground. Yeah. He was trying to blow the crush wire to see it. Um, but it's a pretty effective tool would have been nice to know if my dog would have been aggressive towards leaf blowers. And <laughs> took Turns it, out he took is. It. He was not. Oh, really? Yeah, just ignored Surprising. it. Surprising. He just ignored it.
2: Yeah, that's, that's um, good. Enough. No
1: effect. Um, yeah. So we did that. He ended up having a, a heat stress incident. The dog did. Yeah, yeah. It was it was super hot, and he was eating about the same amount of overpressure as I was. Um, we had a smaller ID go off. I had the hatch open. I'm sitting up there with one peltor on. So I got my bell rung. I can only imagine what, what he had inside this vehicle yeah. with all that reflective pressure in the kennel. Cause it was just a like a plastic berry kennel. Yeah. Ratchet strapped to the floor. Like it was yeah. super, like we had to reinvent war for this thing. And, uh, and then all the mortars were shooting all that, all that expanding pressure from the end of the mortar tube, especially when it's sunken down after four or 500 mortar rounds in the day. Mm-hmm. And we're hanging mortars like this and then running away to get out of the way. Wow. He's eating all of that. Yeah. Um, so between that and the heat, he ended up, uh, basically just throwing up coagulated blood and then, Diarrhea, blood all over the place. Yeah, um, ended up getting medevac. With him. I thought he was gonna die.
2: It almost sounds like uh, like not blast lung, but uh, like overpressure internal issues. If there is blood involved, I mean, because that's not usually from dehydration. No, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I, I, it was it was weird.
1: So we get to Baghdad at the cache. It was like a level two cache, I think, and they had a National Guard vet there with no vet equipment. So it was just like a check the block, like, we have the person, but we didn't bring any of the equipment. So we're doing all (laughs) the ultrasound and and blood work stuff on human machines, and she's having to, like, do the math to see what's normal. And there's no vet tech. So I'm up every 45 minutes with the the ICU nurses to do vitals and administer Dilaudid and lactated ringer, and and, and you're just laying there in the corner. Um, So I'm sleeping on the floor with them. I was there for about a week, and after about 9 or 10 Bags of lactated ringer and a whole lot of Dilaudid. He starts Come walking on. around on his own. He pees for the first time. And then I, I get into like my own little chew and I have my, my flight book back to Syria to continue with the deployment. And he just diarrhea blood all over the floor again. Man. So I'm running across the embassy with Witty in my arms and he's dripping blood behind me and I'm running back in there. And I'm like he's not good. They get me on a C-130 to uh, military working dog Europe. And I shit you not. Know, then the, the humidity changed, environment changed, and you shit solid. Really? In the grass. Wow. In, uh, what? what is that, launch stool? Yeah. Like and immediately? Within, within a day and a half. Yeah. Wow. They did vitals at the military working dog. They said to take them back to the room, just like monitor them. We'll do like this canned GI food. And all of a sudden- Solid, solid, solid shit. And I had five days now in Germany with another handler. His dog was was killed a week prior on Target. Oh, so he came back with me just in case we had to be in, like, the you and a handler had to be there 24-7. Yeah. And uh so we look at each other and we're like, well, what do we do? So we called and got a rental car. And
2: <laughs> I fucking went and hung out in Germany? Yeah.
1: We, <laughs> we went to France. Oh, really? Yeah. So we, we told them we needed a car. That could fit a kennel, right? Because oh, I had to have, I had to be able to take the dog to appointments. Yeah. I'm not in the Army now, so I can't get in trouble. <laughs> so we had this Alpha Romero, this like $50,000 uh, no SUV, like uh, the Ford Flex version of it. Yeah. And we shoved this kennel that was too big for it. So it, it jacked up top <laughs> a little bit. We put Witty in there and we went to, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it's spelled bitch, bitch France. Yeah, yeah. So we took Witty there and we're eating potato pancakes. Witty's under the table sitting there like he's a pet dog. We it's took the classic. sightseeing. I got pictures of him in France, and he's just <laughs> walking around.
2: Dude, that's fucking the best shit ever. I love it. You got yeah. to make something good out of that. I thing. know. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, take advantage of, uh, of the deal you have. It, it doesn't make sense to just sit there with your thumb in your ass. No. Did they uh, run any, like, um, internal parasite test-wise? Was everything fine that way? They didn't do any internal parasite tests.
1: Um, what, I was, what I mentioned was weird about it is, six months after so fully recovered he's with a new handler now i'm still in the kennel um i kind of shifted to the operations nco and i was like coordinating training with the civilian trainer and handling the spare dogs because um, i knew i was getting out uh i had left to go to a police dog trainer school i went up to shallow creek for 12 weeks and that was right as i was transitioning away from witty so with me gone he started doing it again throwing up blood like the stress from me being gone mm-hmm. which is really strange um and it, he did it the whole time i was gone when i came back oh wow fine huh and then I, and then i don't know if it was just a, a smoother transition now that i was back and my buddy john was handling him now and yeah. then i was out of the army and he was like oh new dad now yeah. it's fine yeah but yeah me being gone people were texting me saying he's Diarrhea and he's throwing up like he's it's wow. crazy. Dude, that's wild.
2: Um, on that deployment, after you uh, fucked around in France, did you uh, <laughs> did you go back to Syria or back to Baghdad?
1: No, we went from uh, working dog Europe to back to the states. To, yeah, it was only it was like twenty days before the end of deployment. It was oh, okay. it was pretty.
2: Were there any uh, any operations that you took him on uh, that, that stand out other than uh, the leaf blower stuff? Like, did he get any bites or anything?
1: No, no. That, that trip was super weird. Like, it was, like, the, the unit guys had single-purpose dogs there. Like, um, that was where I met Bill Shively for the first time. And he's. I ended up doing probably probably about three or four weeks of training with him where just doing, like, Pat Nolan Directionals with these Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. Yeah. And, like, it was cool. It was awesome. Um, and then I got Witty, who's – so like not doing anything yeah. other than like doing some off lead, using the laser a lot, like send them out at dust to get them away from us to do detection on the way back to me. Yeah. Um, like I'm having to work through like he's aggressing buried hides now. Like, yeah. cause he's like, we haven't done bite work yeah. in a long time. And so I'm fixing that while Bill's out here. Like he's got me with a whistle and yeah. these dogs are like remote control dogs. And I was like, I wish I had something like this yeah. the whole time. Yeah, I could have stood on top of the vehicle yeah. and done it. <laughs>
2: Um, was that the the only deployment you did with uh, with the dog at Ranger?
1: Yeah, that yeah. was that was the only the only forward deployment I did. the The next one I would have done, um, I was kind of torn. Like I wanted to go on another trip, but I was also kind of like, witty having those issues, and then yeah. knowing I was getting out, like I was for sure getting out. Like they they weren't going to let me stay in the kennel. I did not want to go to, to the the uh, like staff sergeant at school and be a squad leader of humans again. Yeah, so. My kennel master at the time, um, super awesome. Like he, this is what you want to do. We're going to take advantage of every mode of opportunity we have to get you successful when you get out. He's like a, he's cool. a firm, firm believer that that's where like the military like fails a lot of people, yeah. which I, looking back, I agree yeah. wholeheartedly. Um, basically just put in, this is before the VA had their like apprenticeship program. It's so, like right now, Justin Rigney has like, he's had three Rangers now go th- do training with him for 30 to 60 days. Oh, that's cool. And it's all, they're still getting paid by the army. Yeah. Um, I yeah, did that's it. Awesome. I did it a little backwards. I just put it in as it's a dog trainer school, but I went up to shallow Creek and did like the six, the six week pre training of the dogs for, for police officers. So on dope and then trained the 17, uh, police officers that came up to be basic handlers. Yeah. Um, that was like invaluable. Sure. Like it was, it was awesome. Um, John Brandon up there, like he treated me like one of his kids. Like yeah. I'm having dinner at his house. Like yeah, everything awesome. I needed, they did. It took care of me. It was it was a, it was an awesome twelve weeks. I stayed up there the whole time. Like handlers were going back home. Granted, they were a lot of them from up there in the Midwest and East Coast, but yeah. I was not driving to Savannah. Yeah. from there. Um, but it was it was an awesome twelve weeks. I got to like grow my beard out. I didn't have to be in the <laughs> army. I got to yell at some cops, and yeah. every t- I made a couple cry. And every time, no, like, not on purpose, like. Yeah. A supervisor showed up, broke my window to get me out. I was able to get in the back of the car with him as he was taking his last couple breaths.
0: no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website
2: for details I'm Nick the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with first hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs cryptids conspiracies and the paranormal real people real encounters so come with us on the journey into the unknown
0: UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps I'll see
2: you soon